welcome to 321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co founder of iRelaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome Carrie Schrader. Carrie is the CEO and co founder of Mixtros and a relauncher herself. She's a longtime corporate HR professional who then, with her daughter, co-founded a tech company called Mixtros, which we will discuss shortly. Before co-founding Mixtros, Carrie took a career break, which she describes on her LinkedIn profile as director of personal and professional reflection, sabbatical, took time off to re-engage with family and friends, travel, volunteer, and to contemplate the next chapter of a successful career. Mixtros has raised over $1 million in funding, a huge milestone. Carrie. Welcome to 321i Relaunch. Carol, thank you so much for having me. I was chuckling when I heard that that introduction from you reading from my LinkedIn because I truly wrote that probably six and a half years ago when I had just embarked on that sabbatical, finding myself, trying to figure out the next step. So it's just funny how true that was and true to I ended up doing something totally different. And I just loved how you put it right out there. It was a great description. And I love also that you ended up doing something totally different. Both of those things, very instructive for our relauncher audience. And we're going to get into that in more detail. But maybe actually we can start, Carrie. Can you give us a brief synopsis of your career path up until the point where you co-founded Mixtros? Well, that's pretty easy because prior to co-founding Mixtros, I was steeped in HR for over 25 years. So I've worked for some pretty big, well-known companies like Ford and Alcoa and Sears Holding. My last company was with a smaller integrated aluminum company right out of Franklin, Tennessee, well, right in Franklin, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville. So I have been steeped from plant level to regional level to corporate level and even some international um, purview, if you will, to HR. So maybe tell us what was the impetus for you stepping away from that corporate HR career? Well, you know, well, you don't know, and that's what I'm going to share with you. I had, we had started, and when I say we, it was my husband my daughter and my son, who is the youngest in our family, we had started moving around with my career in 2002. I had just gotten, I was a newly minted MBA. My husband had quite a career at Ford Motor Company in a safety capacity. And then I was working in labor relations. And we just looked and said, if we're going to move, we need to do it now. So my husband who really loves our children and loves to cook, he decided that he would come out of his career early so that I could really put gas on mine. And so for the past almost 18 years, we've been moving around the country with different great opportunities for me and HR. And I just got to that point after 25 years in, had just been part of an IPO Uh, for the last company that I supported and had a a little guy still, or actually a big guy in 10th grade and just needed time out. Uh, I really hadn't been really active in his um, education to that point, you know, other than being that person that wrote checks 
and every now and then stopped by basketball games, but really was just kind of fatigued from the stresses of HR and wanting to see my uh, son graduate and do his thing pre-college. And and I have to say, some of that fatigue from HR, keep in mind, as I'm going to call myself a more seasoned mm-hmm. person, all of my age our career was prior to all of the uh, me too, we too, help her, help them and all of that. So I was in the, in the trenches slugging, trying to, you know, beat the drum of equality and let's be fair to people as we drive that human asset to profitability. So, you know what, mm-hmm. Carol, I was mm-hmm. tired. Um, I, I, I hear you. Um, and so you made that decision and you stepped back and then what happened during that time? And then how did it lead to you co-founding Mixtros? Well, everything on my LinkedIn and that, that director of sabbatical is true. I traveled. I had friends that lived internationally. My husband and I, we really loved to entertain. We did more of that. I, you know, got involved with my son's uh, basketball, high school basketball team, and really showed them how to fundraise. I was like, we're going to be go beyond this $1,500 <laughs> thing. So I was able to bring my background to do that. My daughter, meanwhile, was driving a very successful career in New York City. So I would, you know, was able to go and hang out with her. My mom, who just turned 90 years old on Halloween of uh, 2019. I, you know, my, all of my family is in the Cleveland, Ohio area. So was able to go and do just fun stuff with them and girls trips and all of that stuff. And after a year or so, because that was the deal that I had made with my husband who keep in mind was at home, retired Mm -hmm. full time. Um, Like I'm going to come out for a year and then, you know, I'll, I'll go back to work. What I noted was it was the year before, if I would have went back to work in the fall of 2014, it was the year before my son was going to graduate high school in the spring of 15. So then I negotiated with my husband because that's my background. I was like, hey, how about this? I'll hang out until he graduates. Then, you know, I'll go back to HR full time. And it's just crazy how things happen because on November the 9th of 2014, Ashley, my daughter and co-founder and I had a crazy conversation about how awkward it was to network at live events, her with her demographic in New York City and me with mine um, in Franklin on this specific weekend. And we literally we were on the phone and during that call, when we couldn't figure it out, we we consulted with the thing that everybody should do if they're not doing, the Google. And that call lasted four hours. And when we saw there wasn't anything that addressed our specific concern, we made Mixtros up in that conversation, which to this day is crazy. Wow. Um, so tell us a little bit more about Mixtros. Like, how does it actually work? What What does it do? Well, Mixtros, and I love to spell it out because people sometimes will not phonetically hear it. So it's mixer and introduction smushed together. We kind of stole from the handbook of Sarah Blakely, and that will explain the Z on the end. So it oh, is right. spelled, <laughs> yeah, it's spelled M-I-X. 
M-I-X-T-R-O-Z. And so what Mixtros is, it is a platform that is used through one smartphone device that brings people together in real time at live events based on 10 questions that the event organizer is able to ask and wait. They can make the group similar, dissimilar, or totally random. We put a lot of power in the hands of the event organizer because that person or those persons should know why somebody is paying to come to an event, what they want to get out of it, or in the case of business enterprise, why you're bringing people together. So for an attendee, you download the app. Once you're on site, it will recognize where you are. We bring real people together and not profiles. So you need to be at the event during the event to see that logo to event. You are then prompted to take a selfie, and I'm going to tell you why, mm-hmm. and put in your name and email. We have people take the selfies for a couple of great reasons. Number one, Nobody looks like their LinkedIn profile picture, their Facebook picture, the picture with the kids, the grandkids, the dog. And so people need to see what you look like on that specific date. We also do not import third party data. So all of the hubbub around um, Cambridge Analytica almost two years ago, mm-hmm. we were ahead of that because the only information that we collect is the information of those 10 questions that the event organizer has posed. So once you do that, you've taken your picture, you're putting in your email, you answer 10 highly pixeled uh, questions that have up to five options. It could be A, B, C, D, E, or a simple yes, no, true, false. Based on how you respond to those questions, at whatever time the event organizer deems appropriate, whether it's project team development, networking, lunch or dinner time seating, you will get a push notification. It will show you who's in your group because we do not group one-on-one, we don't pair. We do groups of three to 10 sociology upholds that's more comfortable for attendees. Mm -hmm. You are shown who is in your group, what they look like that day, and where to meet them in the venue. Once you're there, we even make it easy for the attendees to start having a conversation. So in a nutshell, (laughs) that's it. Real-time connectivity that leads to higher engagement and then data on the back end for the event organizer because they're able to see in real time and via a raw data file who actually came to their event, their name, their email, how they responded to each question, even who they were grouped with. So if an event organizer asks, do you want to sponsor, volunteer, speak at something, you can see in real time who those people are. Got it. Uh, Is the customer then, is your customer the event organizer or is it also somehow the individuals? No, it is the event organizer. Again, because the event organizer is critical to the success of participation, because of that, we experience 85% and higher adoption rates at events that layer mixtros in. 
Excellent. All right. So um, how long did it take you to get the whole concept uh, up and running and translated into this app and working as you describe? Uh, and actually, this is a combination question. Um, what were the first steps that you took after having that four-hour conversation with your daughter? Well, again, this story is made for TV. So if anybody wants to uh, talk about that, they need to call me. It <laughs> is just crazy how this came to be. So first of all, it's important to say, I am the youngest, if you can be the youngest at 57, I guess you can, yeah. in my family. My father, mother and father's whole goal was to make sure that their children were educated with college degrees and could take care of themselves. As far as I know, in the generation prior to mine and even before that, there is no entrepreneurship. There may have been a gas station, maybe, that I'm trying to, you know, confirm, but nothing of this magnitude. Mm -hmm. I raised my children the same way. You will go to college, you will perform well there, and then you will go and take over whatever your career path is. So this never should have happened because I'm. It, that's just never been on my radar. So once we had the conversation on uh, November the 9th, the next day was, how do you create an app? We had no idea. Mm -hmm. A lot of the things that we did really in the early stages came from the book of the Google. Mm -hmm. That's where we would go and look. Oddly enough, I met our developers almost five years to the date today. Actually, it was last week at a conference I had never heard of in January of 2015. So this is two months after we made this up. Ashley saw that the Consumer Electronics Show was in that January. In January, mm -hmm. I didn't even know what CES was. I applied to go because I wanted to go for free, which is a whole nother story because my husband and daughter were like, just pay the cost. Long story short, mm -hmm. I sent a note the president, they gave me a free ticket wow. to get inside the event. Wow. At the event, I was really wishing and hoping that something like Mixtros was already uh, created because I'm at an event with people half my age, younger white guys, Asian guys, sprinkled with two, three women. Mm -hmm. There was probably three black women there and two of them were on the serving staff and me. Mm -hmm. I'm very corporate because of my corporate background. I'm at a table during a break just looking at these people. There were two beers at my table. And so sooner or later, these two older guys in my age range, white guys, come to my table. I started talking to them. And then I said, hey, I know I look like Beyonce, so that's why you came over here. <laughs> You stayed. You stayed because of my wonderful personality. I said, but out of all of these people, why did you come and talk to me? Yeah. And they said, because this is our table. These are our beers. And they have been our developers since day one. Ah, okay. So, you know, you just, some of it is luck. Some of it is faith. Yeah. Some of it is you've got to get out there and do some research. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Okay. So you're at the Consumer Electronics Show, and then what happened? 
I, we ran in, I ran into my developers and then everything else is history. Yeah. I ended up signing a contract with them at the end of the month, which was great wow. because we had had some, we had had some crazy quotes before that. And again, we're stepping out in an unknown. My mm-hmm. husband's retired. Mm-hmm. I'm not working. And we were getting quotes upwards of ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 a week to even create the wireframe for Mixtros, which is really like hanging uh, clothes on a clothesline yep. and trying to figure what order you want them in. Mm-hmm. Um, so we made we met uh, the developers and that made all things possible. So then it was, let's just test. And Fortunately or unfortunately, because Ashley and I worked and were very steeped in the human resource, me on the human resource side, my daughter was the director of events for a small boutique out of New York. But don't let the word small fool you because they were just purchased by the majority share um, by Madison Square Garden. But she has done events for Oprah Winfrey, Leo DiCaprio, the Olympics. Moet Hennessy. So she understood what happens at an event on the back end and what could be valuable to an event organizer where I understood the people part and what that increased engagement leads to as far as profitability. So we were our own test market for a long time and kind of just started doing experiments. My daughter was still full time in her job through 20 June of 2016 mm-hmm. when she finally gave up her New York lifestyle moved back to her you know baby brother's room which I have to remind her was pretty nice it had an ensuite bathroom <laughs> uh, but you know drove his old hoopty type car and you know came home so that we could really you know see what what mixtros could do and so that led to competitions that we were in. We actually were accepted into an accelerator in Birmingham, Alabama in 2018, January 2018, which really we describe, I describe as an executive MBA Mm -hmm. for your Mm -hmm. company. So it took us to finishing school. Once we were done with that, some man on a red bus named Steve Case was, you know, they told us he was coming through town. Now, okay, almost two years later, I do understand that Red Bus represents Steve Case, who is the godfather of the internet. You know, he is the founder of AOL and he comes out every year now. He goes on a five city tour to cities outside of each coast or New York or Boston to look for uh, companies that have potential and not getting enough recognition. And so long story short, one of the cities in 2018 in May was Birmingham, Alabama. And we had literally just finished up inside the um, incubator and we applied. We applied and from what I understand, Birmingham had the most applications that year from the five city tour. And we won. My daughter Ashley pitched to Steve Case. He actually said when she finished that, now that was one great presentation. She talks about that now, as you can imagine. But he kicked off our million dollar round of funding. And so we went on to some six, six, seven months later to complete our 
first million dollar plus funding round, which made me and my daughter the 37th and 38th black females to ever do so to raise that kind of money. And I will take a pause, Carol, to say that's really great and is really not great all at the same time. But we are trying to help others make inroads. And it's, in my opinion, more than just black females is people who don't look like the majority of people doing anything. And so even for me comes into play being a what I call non-millennial. And it's funny because even my Instagram name is uh, the millennial plus. <laughs> That's a great name. But, you know, I, I seriously, Carrie, huge congratulations on that. What an incredible accomplishment and what a story in terms of, you know, how that all happened. What a journey. Um, I, before we get further into that, because I have some more questions for you on it, I just want to step back and ask you this question about uh, the reality of cash flow when you are an entrepreneur before you raise your $1 million plus, like not very many people get to do, but you did. But before that happened, um, you know, you talked about you have developers, you're you're funding the startup of this company. Um, I'm guessing at that point you didn't have income from the company yet. You're, you mentioned your daughter kept her day job for a, for a period of time, very smart. Um, and then at, when you all thought it was the right time, she left her day job. So I just wanted to talk about the reality of delayed cash flow, delayed income, or a very lumpy income when you're building a company. How did you manage that? I have to say, Carol, that is an awesome question because when I speak or my daughter speaks around the country as we do, that's one thing that I specifically bring up because I think there has been so many shows and movies and, you know, you come up with an idea and then they call it a unicorn and you're off to France and everything is good. I have to tell you, it has been five years from ideation to where we are now. Originally, we started bootstrapping, which is just a fancy word for putting your own money in. Yes. Keeping in mind that I am the bread, sole breadwinner for my family um, and I wasn't working at the time. It, it is you are going to make some sacrifices. And I was also jumping into something that we knew nothing about. So we were self-funded. Again, if it wasn't for the developers that we met that really got what we were doing and saw the long game, we never could have afforded to keep it moving. Um, and there's things that I had to give up and they might sound simplistic to somebody, but again, as a HR professional where I was very senior level, I had worked my way into being accustomed to some things from somebody helping me at at home with, you know, maintaining the interior of the house to things like nails and purses and, you know, not crazy vacations, but when I wanted to go on vacation, I did. I intentionally had to curtail those things or chose to curtail them. The funniest story about uh curtailing expense personally is I lived in, because I've since moved to Birmingham, but my home in Franklin, very, very nice, very well-kept homes. And so the majority of the people always had 
people come in and do the the yard work and the flowers, you know, for appropriate for each season. I can remember after probably that April of 15 with mixtures, it was like, ooh, it's time to do this. And I really don't know if I want to put a couple thousand dollars in here. I hate doing stuff outside. My husband hates doing stuff outside, but we need to do stuff outside. So I took him to the local florist that it only took him because he's a veteran and I could get a 10% discount. Mm. I picked flowers out doing, oh, they look good. Or I think I can make something of them. The funny part is, is when I actually start planting them in my yard, my neighbors start coming out and were questioning me like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Uh You know, are you okay? Did your guy quit? And so so that is just like a story we tell over and over because I mean, that's reality. Bills still have to get paid. My son was still in high school. Things had to happen. So all of that is to say, you do have to have a financial plan and you have to stick to it because at the end of the day, you have to keep you have to keep living your personal life, but you do need money to grow your business. In uh, the summer of 2015, we then went to our friends and family, and it's funny, if, depending on what investor you talk to, not one of our investors, investors that I've heard speak, they call it friends, family, and fools round because it's like, oh, you're getting your friends and family to you know fall for the okie doke, and you're not going to do anything with it. But my friends and family, they know that, like, I've never taken up a torch like this. And they also know that I have been driven in my career as Ashley has been with her, hers. And we were able to raise $200,000, nearly $200,000 in a friends and family raise when women, Black women specifically, were barely able to raise $36,000. That money lasted us from the end of the summer 2015 to the end of December, 2017. Wow. Well, you know, I just have to say, Carrie, thank you for putting this on the table about what it really means um, in terms of the cash flow part, in terms of your friends and family round, how you made that last, because that's the reality of, of building a business from scratch, boots, you know, bootstrapping, strapping your business, as you say. Um, and I think some people have this romantic version of um, I'm going to start a company and they don't think about that financial planning piece. And, and it's really critical. So I appreciate uh, the frank conversation about it. So, so Carrie, let me let me just jump to this point where you've raised this one million. Um, Steve Case is involved. It's, it's really incredible. What happens after that? Does the whole game plan change because there are now other people involved with this money raise and they're sort of putting some pressure on you in terms of results? Or did they just let you continue to run the company the way you were running it before? Well, definitely at every level of the game, you know, the more people you involve with their your, their money, they, they want to at least be kept up to date of what's going on. Yeah. And I have to tell you, $1 million for a tech company, for any company sounds like a lot, but really it, it is not. And I, I don't, uh, I don't, you know, want to disregard what it meant for my company, but yes, it, yes, more people are involved. But what I will tell you uh, from Steve Case to other uh, family offices, which are like families that invest in companies and angels. So we really haven't dealt 
with VCs, which are venture capitalists that really can tighten up on a company or really kind of overtake it if they want to, depending on how much equity they have. And we're working on convertible notes. Wow. So although I keep my investors appraised, apprised of where we are, they really aren't in the day-to-day decision-making. But if I want to be able to raise another successful round, I still need to be a, a astute businesswoman so that when I open up the books to those investors or new investors, they'll see what their money has allowed us to do. So for Mixtros, that $1 million allowed us to bring on some consultants because up until November of 2018, when we closed that round, Mixtros was myself, my daughter, and our developers as consultants. So we that million dollars gave us the grace to hire an admin, to bring on a marketing consultant, sales, ops, to bring our developers in on a retainer. Then it starts the machine of uh, digital media. How do you get more search engine, higher search engine optimization? I mean, there's other things that PR that go into building. And so that what that million dollars did was allowed us to bring on some people to give us the opportunity to figure on top of Carrie and Ashley's hustle, because we have been hustlers with Mixtros and bringing in um, clients on top of that. What are the processes and technologies that makes Mixtro scalable and gives us repeatable processes? And that's what we've been able to do. Got it. Um, Well, you know, we're running out of time. I have so much I want to talk to you about. But let me ask you about this. Um, You mentioned to me uh, when we were prepping that, that you had a health crisis in the middle of this. And I wanted to know if you can talk a little bit about that, because it was in the middle of when you were launching the company and, you know, our audience has people who take career breaks for a whole range of reasons, but it sometimes includes uh, some sort of a health crisis. So um, if you wouldn't mind sharing, please let us know how, what happened and, and how did you manage a health crisis in the middle of a high growth company launch? Carol, I so appreciate you carving out time for this because I think this is one of the most important things I can say. I actually had this crisis happen in October of 2015. We had literally just closed the round of friends and family. So now I have my money tied up, my daughter's money tied up, and now we have another $200,000 from people that really are my friends and family. I go to a a yearly mammogram that you schedule a year out. If it would have been a day plus or minus, I would have missed it because we were going to a conference and I wouldn't have thought anything about missing it because I had no symptoms. My weight is up, was up, which for me is synonymous that you are healthy because you are just a little plump. We're going to call it pleasingly plump. And so I had no issues. Cancer doesn't run in my family. That yearly appointment came up And thank goodness that I went to it because I was diagnosed with early stage breast cancer, Mm -hmm. which then meant surgery and six weeks of radiation, which 
I so affectionately called tanning that would get on my daughter's nerves. But I really felt with through faith, my family, friends, and focusing on mixtures, I had to move forward. And I, I didn't feel sorry. I just needed to do what I needed to do to get better, which I am. I am cured. You know, it's almost five years that has been even since the radiation. But what I will tell you, your audience is there's no new game or new career or new opportunity if you're not here to be able to birth it. And so whatever your annual uh, checkups require or what you should be doing or getting a little healthier, walking a little more, not smoking, a little less drinking, do that because health comes before everything. So I really appreciate that opportunity uh, to talk to your audience about it. Well, thank you so much for, for being so direct about it and telling our audience. And we really appreciate the, the candor. Um, and it, it's really it's going to be helpful to everyone. So, so thank you. Um, Carrie, I'm going to wrap up now with the question that, that we ask all of our podcast guests. And that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something we've already talked about today? I would say for the relauncher audience, trust your gut, trust mm -hmm. your past experiences and take the first step. The only thing that can happen is it doesn't work out, which sets you up for your next thing and those learnings that are important. I do think as relaunchers, we like to go into everything with, we know what to do and it's going to work out. And then when it fails or doesn't go as quick, we get discouraged. That's part of the process. Get in the game. Excellent. Excellent advice. Um, how can we and our audience find out more about Mixtros? Well, certainly they can get on our website, which is again, Mixtros, M-I-X, troz.com. I mean, there's a wealth of information on there as well as our my contact information. You can reach out to me directly at Kerry, K-E-R-R-Y at mixtros.com. You can follow me on Instagram. Yes, I have Instagram at and Facebook at the Millennial Plus or on Twitter at the Mill plus, M-I-L-L -L plus. Um, they wouldn't let me have all of the millennial. It was too long. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening to 321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.